Hello and welcome to a new series of the Rock and Road podcast. This is series four, episode one. I have a very special guest today, the one and only Mr. Billy Idol. I'm going to try out a Lexus RXL Takumi with captain seats. I'll speak to Emma from MCN Motorcycle News. And with Halloween coming up, I want to know, is it an American event or did we actually start it? We'll find out with English heritage historian Michael Carter. But first, the legend that is Billy Idol. Welcome to the show, Billy Idol. Yeah, thank you, Leona. Fantastic. It's great to have you with us. Um, you've announced a new tour and a new EP. How does it feel to be back? Well, fantastic, because, uh, yeah, just really great. It's always magic to uh, have some new music. I mean, the, the Billy Idol classics are great to play, but the lifeblood of what we do is really having some new stuff, you know. Yeah, it must be. As an artist, you want to get out there and try out some new stuff. Um, yeah. what, what is the best thing about playing live? Well, it's just the, the feeling you get from the audience, you know, that it's, everything's reciprocated, you know, putting out a lot of energy and you get a lot of energy and love back. It's just great, you know, especially at the moment. Uh, you know, we're very hungry to play, so uh, it's been fantastic. The audience has been off the hook, uh, the recent gigs we've been doing. We were lucky we didn't have to cancel because anybody got coronavirus really watched out. So uh, we're playing mainly outside, so it all seemed to go really well. So... Uh, Fantastic. Yeah, the, that, that communal experience after the last 18 months must just be absolutely phenomenal and a real buzz. Yeah, because people just want to feel like things are, you know, they want to feel normal, you know. And this is one way of doing it, seeing a show and being with other people and not being too fearful. And and you can wear a mask if you want, or if you don't want to, you don't have to, you know. So uh, Yeah, yeah, it's optional, isn't it? And And the new EP came about after the lockdown period, and you had time to reflect, and particularly on a motorbike crash you had in 1990. Now, how did that come through into your music? Well, it was very early in the pandemic, May, June 2020. So I, I thought, well, I could see what was going on. It was a very sort of scary time, a problem time, a confusion. And then people didn't quite know what was going to happen in the future. It's going to change their lives. And I just thought, well, that's, I can't immediately write a pandemic song. I like to let things come inside and marinate. And then you can write a song, hopefully you write a great song because it comes out naturally. So I thought, well, I don't want to write a pandemic song immediately, but what could I write about? There was a confusing time for me, painful time, a time where I had a lot to overcome. You know, I had to face my demons and everything. And I thought about the motorcycle accident because, uh, yeah, it was a painful, confusing, horrible, horrible time. I nearly thought I was going to lose my leg at one point and then I managed to save it. And then a billion operations later, I was able to go on tour and everything. But, but it was a horrible, painful time. And, uh, yeah, it did mean I had to think about myself and think about my demons because, you know, I was high riding the motorcycle, which you should never do. But there you go. It was my fault. So it's something I've tried to forget about, really. But now it's time to face it, really. So, uh, Right. Yeah, because it's been, you know, it's been a long time. But obviously that time on your own was a chance to really reflect on that uh, that bad experience that you'd had. Yes, um, exactly. Are you still riding? And if so, what are you riding? Yeah, I got a, I got a sports glide. A new, it's a new bike, a sports glide. Um, it's got a double header. It's got this huge pipe on it. It's crazy. It's like it's, it's so powered up. It's ridiculous. But uh, yeah, uh, my original bike I rode for about 30 years now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So Ye Old Bone Shaker, that's what she's called. Oh, wonderful. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
So. That's so cool. Um, can you tell us about your new single, Bitter Taste? I've been playing it a lot on Absolute Classic Rock. Can, can you tell me about the song? Yeah, it was all about the motorcycle accident, you know, the twisted frame, the uh, I was born again in a way, um, my new crown, you know, the, the twisted frame. My, so it's all about the motorcycle accident, what really happened. And because uh, I always ride my bike to when we write songs, I usually turn up on my bike. So we immediately started to talk about all the adventures I had on the bike. And then and we were writing with these young chaps, Tommy English, who's English, and Joe Janiaki. <laughs> and it just went really well. And, you know, it just came out great. And we're going to do some more with them. So, uh, it's just great. We worked with some really great people on the EP. Yeah, one of them is your music collaborator of 40 years, Steve Stevens. Yes, he's playing better than ever. So, uh, Yeah, has uh, your songwriting partnership with him changed over all these years? Uh, uh, not really, really. We still sort of complement each other in a great way. You know, I, I feel that he could do anything I want. And then I, obviously I don't think he'd be working with me unless I could somehow fulfill what he's looking for. So... And he's always got my back and uh, it really has my best interests at heart. What, what more could you ask from a fellow musician? You know, it's incredible. I'm friend, you know. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a great collaboration. And on that song, Bitter Taste, I love the way your voice is really deep for the chorus. It comes in really deep before you hit your, your usual Billy Idol screams. I love that, that deep tone that you've used. Um, can we just go back to the 80s? Your career exploded in the 80s. What was it like back then for you? Yes, it was pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I went to America really just to, uh, I knew the scene there. A lot of punk rock had happened in the early 70s there. So I knew there was a lot of like-minded musicians. But uh, my manager, Bill O'Coin, um, he managed Kiss as well. He, he'd worked in television in the late 60s, early 70s. So he kind of still knew a lot of people in television. He knew MTV was coming. So uh, we thought I'd be right for it. The MTV years, yeah, just everything just exploded um, because the platform of MTV, it kind of broke down any resistance at the radio or anything like that. Next minute we're off and the 80s just sort of sprang into life and uh, took on the life of its own. Yeah, it's just really exciting. I mean, uh, a little weird too, because uh, over time with MTV getting bigger and bigger and you know, you're in everybody's front room, everybody felt they knew you. So, yeah. you know, got a little crazy just because if you stepped outside your door, you'd, you know, everybody couldn't help but go, it's Billy Idol. You know, they just couldn't <laughs> help it. You know, so, and you wanted that. You wanted that because you wanted people to love the music and you wanted the, you know, the music to get to them. But it did did drive me a little. It, it, it just made you a little bit insular because you had to live in little rooms all the time. And that's a little weird. So uh, had some funny sides to it. But uh but, you know, but mainly you're getting your music across. It was fun making the videos. We used to call it video hell, but it still was fun because they were your idea, my ideas. And uh, we were watching them come to life. And I worked with great people. It was a fun time and sort of a, yeah, you know, it was a crunch time where everything's sort of like, wow, one thing after another. You know, like in the Rebel Yell Tour, we went from playing in clubs to theatres to arenas. You know, it was like, yeah. wow, in 10 months. So it's <sighs> exciting, very exciting. And uh just, just coming up with writing the songs and it's just fun, you know, just always exploring things. And, uh, and then of course it was, uh, it's still at the age of the sort of sexual revolution. So it's still pretty wild out there. Yeah. So we had a lot of fun. Yeah. I bet you absolute did. 80s, absolute lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I did of course use uh, white wedding at my wedding when we walked down the aisle, had that full blast. Uh, do you mind that it's used so much in this way and will be used forevermore in that way? 
It's funny, it was a bit of an anti-wedding song in a way. Oh, yeah. that's the irony. <laughs> that is the irony, but uh, but it's it's a but it gives you a whole other way to go when it comes to the wedding, and it's just yeah, just glad pe- people have enjoyed it, and yeah, I could never have imagined when I was writing it just the effect it would have on people. So uh, it's been fantastic, and it's lasted all these years. I mean, it's 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 thirty nine years old, so it's nearly forty years old. So it's Gosh. amazing. We're still doing it. It's still one of the encores we do. So. Uh, it's always fun too. It hasn't got old. Doesn't get old singing it, you know. And what was your inspiration for another massive song, "Rebel Yell"? Yeah, well, actually, I went to a party with the Rolling Stones. I got to know Ronnie Wood in the in the eighties. He lived on a brownstone on the west upper west side, and um, he's having a party for one of the Stones. I can't remember whose party it was, you know, his birthday party. But uh, at one point, standing in front of me was like, you know, Keith Richards. Ronnie Wood and Mick Jagger, and they were all drinking this bottle there, a brown bottle, you know. So I kind of followed the label up to their lips, and I could see it, it was had this title, Rebel Yell. There was like a, a Confederate cavalry officer just riding away with a plume in his hair, like Jeb Stewart <laughs> or something. Well, I thought, that's, I know about the American Civil War. I, that, that title, because I, I was writing the hour, trying to write an album at that time, I hadn't, I hadn't too many ideas for lyrics. I just thought that title, I could use that. And I looked at them, and I kind of went, uh, this drink you've got uh you know what is it did you have it make it made up you know because i'm fishing you know and they went no no it's a southern sour mash it's from you know it's kentucky or whatever you know it's just a bourbon you know i said you know rebel yell would you be thinking of using that as a song title because and they kind of looked at each other and as i as they did i went you know street fighting man jumping jack flash rebel yell and they kind of went uh no, I don't think we would. And then, of course, in my mind, I just went, I'm going home. I'm going to write a song. I'll make it about a cry of love, though. Nothing to do with the Civil War, more a, a woman's orgasmic cry of love, you know. So uh, Amazing that you, about sex, very you know? polite of you to ask their opinion as well. <laughs> well ask I their permission. To make sure, you know, they didn't want to <laughs> use it themselves. They didn't. So, uh, and I think it worked out fantastic for me because how hell will we will we finish a Billy Idol show if we didn't have Rebel Yell? You know, it's just such an amazing song. I mean, if you could go back to those days um, to the young Billy Idol, is there any advice that you would give to yourself? Well, yeah, you know, I, I messed up a lot in some ways, but in other ways I didn't. You know, I did all the right things in some ways, so uh, I wouldn't want to change anything, or I don't think I'd be here quite doing what I've this EP that we've done, The Roadside, you know, would I be doing this? Would, would, would we be doing Bitter Taste? Would we be doing Rita Hayworth? So maybe whatever I've done is right. I mean, the great thing is we're carrying on making music. So I'm sort of, I'm still building my catalogue and uh, that feels good, you know, and with some great tracks like these songs, they're fun to play live. We've been playing them live and they've been going down great with the audience have been singing them. So, uh, yeah, definitely bitter taste. I've been singing along to it. So, you know, that's that's fantastic to feel that. And to just after all these years, to still be excited and enjoying it. And, you know, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, I couldn't imagine this when we were in punk rock. We just thought it would last six months, a year, maybe two years. And then here we are, 45 <laughs> years later. It's crazy. You know? It is absolutely crazy. Having this chat on Zoom, the, the whole thing, just the whole world's changed and you're still producing these great rock songs it's just fantastic I mean if you go back to your entire back catalogue which is the song you think you're most proud of well yeah Rebel Yell of course uh, yeah we do. it's just evergreen it doesn't get old too but you know uh, but one of the ballads Eyes Without a Face or Flesh of Fantasy they, they still have staying power 
we really worked hard on the songs back then and on the recordings. Keith Forsey in particular worked very hard on the recordings to make sure they last. They had a, even though we were living for the moment, we were writing for the 80s, we still kind of wanted everything to have a quality that would last. And I think we've done it. Uh, and that's great. You know, you could, all those sort of things you couldn't imagine when you started out and then to see it all happen. It's all a bit like a, an amazing dream you're living, you know. Yeah, it really does sound like it. Well, we're just so happy to have you back. It's the first time we played in the UK for a few years now, I think 2018. Um, you've got some tour dates in 2022 in June. Yes. Um, so uh, we just can't wait to see you. Thank you so much for chatting to us. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Leona. Cheers. Today I'm in a Lexus RXL Takumi with captain seats and first impressions are it feels very luxurious especially looking behind me at those captain seats so it's basically a seven seater but in this particular instance it's a six seater because rather than having the uh, bench seats behind me in the middle row um, they've taken them out and replaced them with two rather posh looking captain seats which is individual seats with armrests which the kids absolutely love and they feel um, really special sitting in them so you can either have it as the seven-seater or the six-seater. The original RX launched in 1998 and it became the worldwide best-selling model for the Lexus. And now it is Lexus's first luxury self-charging hybrid vehicle. So you don't even need to plug it in. It does all the charging and electric part for you. So when you pull away, it will use the electric part to try and cut down on the amount of petrol that you are using and all them fumes that you're chugging out. What I absolutely love looking in front of me is the heated steering wheel with a wood trim finish. That just looks fantastic. Also a, quite a big gear stick. A lot of these new cars now have these little miniature gear levers which can be like, you know, just a centimetre tall. This is a nice chunky gear lever. Rather unusually as well on this dashboard area, it has an analogue clock which is quite retro and I like it. Next to the gear lever are two storage compartments, one in the shape of a cup obviously essential but the one in front of it is like a sort of slit and you can just pop your phone in that and yes it does fit the larger smartphones that we all seem to use nowadays as well above this is a lovely 12.3 inch central display which has touchscreen as well essential these days now i've taken this out for a spin and this seriously shifts in fact we're going to use it to take rachel to university in southampton because the storage is great it's really really long with the seats down and it really does move so beautifully that's probably because it has a 3.5 litre direct injection v6 petrol engine so that is why it moves so well in terms of screens on board uh, this is something that i'm seeing more and more now to help me with parking this one's got a 360 degree panoramic view monitor so when you are parking or something's too close to you or you're reversing the cameras come to life however i can't work out how to just access the cameras when you're not reversing or something's too close to you most other cars now just press one button you've got a quick view of what's going on around you can't find that not sure if it has it a little bit disappointed with the sat nav um, it's similar to the Toyota one I drove recently. I just feel that the technology on the sat-nav looks a little dated, should be improved because at the end of the day, we're all just going to keep using Google Maps until they improve car sat-navs and this one isn't particularly great. 
One of the best features of the seven-seater part of this, or six-seater in this case, is that if you want to put up the seats at the very back, um, you don't have to mess around pulling levers and toggles and trying to work out how to do it. It's just done at the touch of a button. You literally press a button on each side and up comes those rear seats. Looking at it from the outside, I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. It's got... 20-inch alloy wheels with silver multi-spoke design for the RX Takumi, which is what I'm driving. This one comes in a bronzy silver, I think is the best way to describe it. It's probably got some fancy name for it. Um, but it does look uh, quite stunning and takes up the full length of a car parking space. A picture of it I'm going to put online or it's outside Wilco. It is very, very long. Um, but obviously the advantages are of that on the inside. It's so roomy. If I was looking for a seven-seater, this would be a serious contender. I have Dexter having picked him up from the school run. Hi, Dexter. Hi. How are you finding the Lexus? Really fast. What else? Uh, has warm. It can warm up your seat. You have blinds to sleep. A blind. Black. Black. Blackout blind. Yeah, blackout blind. And what did you feel like when I went really fast just then? I accelerated quite quickly. What did you think? I felt sick then. <laughs> Back in the studio now, and I've got the official name for the colour of this particular vehicle. It's called a Sonic Titanium. Told you it would have a fancy name, but it is really lovely looking. Uh, the price for this particular model I drove is 65, or just under 65 and a half thousand pounds. And just a bit of information on the hybrid part of it. Lexus hybrids are engineered to run on power from their petrol engine and their electric motor. But they can also run on electric power alone, which is what makes a full hybrid different from other mild hybrids, according to Lexus. They are engineered so that they will run as often as possible on electric power, so you save on fuel and exhaust emissions uh, that are reduced to the minimum they can be in this kind of design. So if you're looking for a car to gently ease yourself into the electric vehicle world, this would be a good one. And then when you get into the swing of it, you can maximise the car's EV potential performance with some gentle braking. Uh, for example, when approaching lights, you just sort of just gently brake rather than slamming them on like I do. And this increases the amount of electric power gained from the car's regenerative braking system. So lots to learn, lots to find out, but if you're looking for a large vehicle with six or seven seats, this is one I can highly recommend. It's the Lexus RXL Takumi. The MCN Minute on the Rock and Road podcast. Hello, Emma from MCN. Hi, Leona. How are you doing? Yeah, really well, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, have you been out on your bike recently? I have, and I'm enjoying this milder weather. I'm not looking forward to when it gets colder, though. No, that's not, not good. Heated grips are your friend. I know, and I need to get some. But I don't, don't have any yet, so I'm going to have to sort that out. So what's been happening in MCN World? Oh, so in MCN World this week, uh, we sort of celebrated the crowning of a new BSB champion last weekend at Brands Hatch. And that was uh, Taryn Taz McKenzie took three wins from three to be crowned the new BSB champ. And what made it all the more special was he was joined in his post-race celebrations by his dad, Neil McKenzie, who was like a 90s legend, basically. Oh. And it was uh, also marked 25 years since his dad Neil took um, his first BSB championship so the pair of them were on the grid 
did together celebrating and Neil had his Boost Yamaha uh, YZF750 from back in the day alongside Taz's modern R1 race bike. So it was a really, really nice moment. That's lovely, that is. Two generations. Exactly, yeah. Two legends. I saw an MCN tweet saying you're trying out some electric motorbikes. Was that you or...? No, that wasn't me. That was one of our road test teams. So, yeah, we've got the uh, Energica uh, Rebel RS and the Harley Livewire, I think. So yeah, it was the Livewire. So will right. we get the results of those tests in the next paper? In next week's paper, yes. Great, great. Uh, what else have you been up to? What else is the paper up to? All right, so we've also got come across quite a disturbing story, really, because our government plans have come to light, which could, if they're put through, um, see the end of us modifying our bikes, essentially. So the government are preparing for the advent of self-driving cars and things like that, and so obviously they want to clamp down on people modifying vehicles. And so it's likely that they could just introduce like a blanket ban on people fitting aftermarket parts. So oh, at the end of customised bikes. So, Buying yeah. the aftermarket parts is most of the fun. Exactly, yeah. And obviously it's a huge industry as well. So, yeah, I think uh, the Motorcycle Action Group are uh, lobbying sort of against it. So you can find out how to make your voice heard and sort of veto the proposals in the current week, uh, the current issue of this week's paper. OK, that's really important. Let's get involved here. Let's sign some petitions and join in the fight. We're not having that. No, absolutely. Yeah, it'd be terrible. God, we're not all just carbon copies of each other, are we? We've got to be individual. Yeah, exactly. I'm Brr, individual. That's made me angry. OK, Emma, anything else? Uh, yeah, well, we've got the road test of the new Suzuki GSXS 1000 GT. So Michael Neves, our, uh, our chief road tester, has just come back from the Highlands where he's ridden that on its launch and he's absolutely raving about it. And he says it's Suzuki's best bike in years. So Ooh. that's good news for Suzuki fans, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And when's the next edition of the paper out? So there's a fun-packed issue out this week already, but if you want to get the latest news, that is uh, next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Lovely, Emma. Thank you. Oh, yeah, thank you too. The MCN Minute on the Rock and Road podcast. Buy the latest issue in-store and online at motorcyclenews.com. <laughs> On the podcast now, I'm joined by English heritage historian Michael Carter. Hello, Michael. Hello, real pleasure to be with you and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween to you as well. Now, Michael, sometimes us Brits complain about Halloween. We say, oh, this is just an American import. Why are we going so big on it? We're just copying them. But that's not strictly true, is it? You've hit the nail on the head. Halloween has excellent uh, British and even English credentials. Tell us about them. This is great. Well, first of all, let's get let's get a little bit of the history, some of the 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 nerdy stuff out of the way. Um, historians like me can't quite agree why the thirty first of October has its supernatural associations and why there is celebrations on the day. Is it because it's some kind of a memory of a Celtic, even pre-Roman ceremony and uh, calendar festival marking the transition of the year from the summer to the winter? Or is it because we have on the 1st and the 2nd of November two great Christian feasts associated with the dead? On the 1st of November, you have All Saints, and on the 2nd of November, you have All Hallows. Now, what is certain is that from the dawn of British recorded history or even Irish recorded history, there are celebrations around this time of year. 
So in America, obviously, everybody dresses up to the extreme and we all torment our neighbours. But do you think that came from English traditions as well? It comes from Irish and English traditions as well known to have taken place in Ireland, Scotland and Northern England. It's first recorded in the 19th century uh, in England of making mischief. Mischief night um, was the name given to Halloween, the 31st of October, and you would do small transgressive acts. It was a licensed misrule. The Irish went big on it. Um, and my mother was Irish, so I grew up um, with lots and lots of Irish ghostly traditions. And um, Halloween was a big deal in our household when I was a kid back in the 1960s and 70s, precisely because of her, keeping alive those um, indigenous Irish traditions, but also traditions in Northern England. I got those from my dad of mischief night. So did the Americans get it from us? It did, they did indeed. Um, uh, 19th century, you get a lot of migration, especially from Ireland, but also from England over to America. And it's, it's New England and the Eastern seaboard of America where Halloween traditions really, really take off the trick or treat they're taking over the mischief, the licensed misrule that was taking place here in the British Isles for, well, from at least the 19th century, probably much earlier as well. And they also take over with them to America a tradition which is also associated with Halloween, which is the carving of root vegetables. Oh, that came from us as well. It did indeed. We've got um, verifiable, provable historical records of people carving um, turnips and mangle weasels into um, what were called um, punkies or will-o'-the-wisps, um, these um, frightening heads, these ghastly heads. Now, when I did it anyone's... become pumpkins? Well, it's taken over to America in the 19th century, possibly even before, but I think that the first evidence we have of it's the 19th, early 20th century, uh, again, is a real, mainly of Irish migration, scooping out the insides of turnips, uh, sorry, of, of pumpkins in America, because they're the kind of vegetable that's around and in sort of head form uh, in North America. And also they are much, much easier to carve than turnips. I don't know if anyone, <laughs> of any of your listeners have tr tried to carve out a turnip or uh, I'll tell you, it is very, very hard work. Ah, so basically then we started Halloween, the dressing up and tormenting your neighbours. We started carving up vegetables, might not have been pumpkins, but we started the whole thing. But then the Americans took it over and then we kind of took it back again. It kind of gets re-imported here, the, you know, our, our permeability to American popular culture. Um, Halloween starts to become a much bigger deal um, about, gosh, was it, well, it's actually within my lifetime it's exploded. Um, the last 30, 40 years, Halloween has become an increasingly important popular festival. Um, it's a little bit of fun. Yes, it is fun. Well, I'm just so pleased to speak to you because I feel like we now have permission um, to enjoy Halloween and stop moaning that we've just nicked it off the Americans because it's actually gone full circle. So it's back to where it started. Exactly. And also the thing with festivals is for them to survive, they have to live and they have to adapt. And that's exactly what Halloween's doing. Thank you, Michael, for clearing that up. That's Michael Carter, English heritage historian. <laughs> Dexter, what are you looking forward to about Halloween? Uh, when we get all the sweets from Halloween and Halloween's coming up quite quick. Is that really all it's about for you, the sweeties? Yeah. <laughs> what about the dressing up? Uh, the dressing up, that's going to be difficult what to choose. Mm, that's true. But what is going to be a mystery what people are going to choose, maybe trick or treat. And I presume you will be treat? 
Uh, I presume once I did trick, I got a potato. <laughs> so now you're just all about the treat. Yes. What about some pumpkin carving? Will you be taking part in that? Yes, I will not be painting. I will be carving out some of the pumpkin pieces. What sort of design are you going to do this year? Do not know. Maybe venom something. Oh, venom. Okay, Dexter. Well, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Halloween. Now, a quick look at the album charts before we conclude the podcast this week. And looking at the top ten, well, at number eight, Ed Sheeran, Divide. Adele goes back into the charts with her album 25, just on the news that she's going to release a new album. That one's come back into the top ten. We have a new entry for James Blake at number four. And number one, Sam Fender, 17, Going Under. That is a great album and it's going on tour next year if you want to get your tickets. Loads of tickets have gone on sale this last week or so. Most recently, Coldplay, who went on sale Friday morning, 10am, 22nd of October. So if you want to see if there's still some available, go to absoluteradio.co.uk slash tickets. And that is it from the podcast this week. Please check out the socials at Rock and Road Pod for all the photographs that go with the episode. And I'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening. Ha!